Well, I'm going to ask that you be uh, praying for me tomorrow morning, 6.45. I made a comment about Swoop Airlines a couple of weeks ago, or last week or a couple of weeks ago, and tomorrow I'm, I will be at their mercy as I'm flying out to the tropical island of, or tropical paradise known as Sylvan Lake, Alberta. Uh, maybe at certain times of the year it's tropical, but it isn't right now, but I'm looking forward to the break. I, I'm going to ask you to pray for Alex Bush, a young, young man who's going to be uh, sharing here next week, speaking that, you know, that uh, the Lord will bless him and prepare him to come here to Westburn and share from God's word. Uh, as uh, I'm thinking... Uh, about going out, out west. I bumped into a lady yesterday, and uh, uh, she was from Winnipeg, and we got to talking about uh, uh, the weather here, and, and she started laughing. She said, well, you guys don't have winter here. And uh, uh, anyways, uh, looking forward to the break. And uh, I, I want us to be continuing on in our reading uh, through the book of Exodus. So a couple of weeks from now, we'll be starting the book of Exodus for the month of, um, the month of uh, February for two or th- uh, three, three weeks, I believe. So if you want to continue to be reading uh, the book of Exodus as we're making our journey through the 66 books of the Bible. But grace, hopefully this morning we're going to see grace in the life of Joseph. Uh, when I think of Joseph, I think of uh, uh, him and his relationship with his brothers especially. And uh, how they were, how we will see in a couple of minutes, they were plotting and actually seeking to get revenge from him. Some out of the favoritism of their father towards him, but just for some of the things that he did. I read a story about uh, on, uh, this illustrating what revenge is. There was a uh, guy and a girl that were dating. And she found out that uh, he was cheating on her. So she convinced him that they should go get uh, matching tattoos big heart on their arms and have both their names put in put in the and he said yeah let's go for it well they went to the tattoo shop and he sat in the chair got the heart done and after about an hour and a half of work the names were all completed he looked at it and she went home um she got her revenge you know when we look at the life of joseph we see that there, are, there is a relationship that is quite strained between his brothers. You know, 12 brothers, and uh, he is uh, one of the younger ones, and his father's favorite. In this relationship that is strained, uh, we see that um, we need to go back a bit, I think, before, to sort of get a good picture of the way his brothers are. If you were to look into chapter uh, 34 of Genesis, we'll see a story there that sort of uh, gives us an idea of what these brothers were like. Uh, I'm not sure how much interaction you've had with families that have had several, uh, several boys in them. I went to school with three, uh, three guys, incredible, all in the same year. There were five brothers in each of those families. And it was, it was interesting, the dynamic because when they got together, it wasn't long before, if it was sports, they were competing with one another. If there was some sort of discussion, it seems like they were arguing. But it was okay for them to argue amongst themselves. But it was another thing for you to sort of come against them. And I remember there was this one night in Regina, down at the Murray Belfer Arena down the south end on a Saturday night, and our hockey team was playing against our rivals from Briarcrest. And in Briarcrest, they had these three brothers. 
And uh, they were out in the foyer, and as we walked in, and they were just bickering at one another, and just, you know, just, just cutting each other down and putting each other in. And I just thought, well, I just shook my head. And I thought, <laughs> they're brothers, they're on the same team, and they can't get along. Well, I saw that change in the game. There was a spot in the game where I was a defenseman, and they put the puck up the middle. And the one guy looked back to the past, and I was coming full tilt, and I hit this guy. His stick went one way, one glove went the other way, his helmet was half off, and I just got the puck and I went up the ice. Little did I know that the two other brothers were on the ice at the same time. And suddenly, in my rearview mirror, as I looked over my shoulder, I've got two brothers bearing down on me. The actions of her brothers. It was okay in the foyer to be bickering with one another, but when it came to, came to stepping up for one another, they were just all in. You've got these brothers that had a sister named Dinah. The story is that Dinah uh, uh, is out in the country there in 30, chapter 34, and as she's out visiting the women of the land, there's this man named Shechem, a young man, I guess, I'm, gonna, I'm not sure of his age, but he's the son of Hamer the Hivite. He rapes her. He rapes her, and then through this experience, somehow goes to the point where he seems to fall in love. He wants to have her as his wife. Well, this story gets back to Jacob. The, the boys are out in the, uh, out in the field uh, taking care of, the, of, their, of their flocks, their cattle, I guess, and they come back and they are told of what's happened. As they're told of what's happened, they, um, they are just irate. Uh, in the meantime, Shechem has gone to his dad and he's told, told, told his dad how much he loves this woman. And he tells his dad what he's done. Well, long story short, there is this, the father comes and he's, he's pleading for the favor of, of, uh, of Dinah's father and, and her brothers. That if we could find favor, that not only could my son Shechem marry your daughter, but our other, our other, uh, your other, uh, other sons could intermarry with our daughters. Name your price. Name your price. Well, they finally come to, come to the, uh, a, a decision to make this happen. But it says this, the brothers, because their sister had been defiled... Jacob's sons replied deceitfully as they spoke to Shechem and his father. They said, we cannot do such a thing. Uh, We can't give our sister to a man who is not circumcised. You know, the part of the identification. So so they say this, and, you know, initially it's like, no, you you can't. Well, anyways, they say, unless you do this, and the men of your town do this, it's not going to happen. Well, They finally relent, and they do this. And here's the deceitfulness in the the plotting that's going on behind it is during those days uh, of when these men, these adult men have been circumcised, it's quite painful. You're not going to be running or anything like that. And uh, so the boys go in, and they take the sword to the whole town, and they wipe them out. The plotting of revenge, okay, and if you want, I go over that in, in more detail. But that's sort of the background of this group of boys, these sons of Jacob. We come up to, come up to uh, chapter 37, and we see that Jacob, uh, Joseph was the 11th son of Jacob. 
He was the oldest, he was the first son through his favorite wife, Rachel. And uh, he was, um, he was, he was uh, the favorite. And in a group of 12 sons, there would be one that Benjamin would come after him. But for the sons that were existing, they could see the favoritism of the father. And so there was, there was a bit of a distancing there. At the age of 17, as you continue through these chapters, you see that, Jacob, uh, that Joseph goes out to see his, see his brothers. And he comes back, and he's giving a bad report to the father. So now you're not just the favorite, but you're a snitch. They're out taking care of the flocks in the distance, and they come back, and they're a snitch. It gets better, or worse. Jacob, uh, Joseph, pardon me, has been given a number of dreams. And in the dreams, he, is, uh, he sees that, that uh, his brothers are going to bow before him. And not only that, that in one of the dreams, that, that everyone's going to bow before him. And in, in a sort of crazy sort of way... I had this picture of sort of like Joseph is pulling the Martin Luther King here thing that I had a dream. And he goes out and he makes it a point of telling his brothers these dreams and how they're going to bow down to them. So you've got the favorite, the snitch, who is now making it known that the day is coming that you're going to bow down before me. Let's not forget what happened earlier. These boys know how to get revenge. So they start plotting. And as they start plotting, they're trying to find a way to get rid of him. And we see that, that as, as they are plotting, uh, Joseph is going for his father. He's going, he's going out to, uh, to see his uh, brothers again. So here is this, this plot that is taking place. And they start plotting that they will, they will kill him. Reuben, the eldest, objected to outright murder and suggested they throw, throw Joseph into a pit. So uh, Reuben isn't all bad. He doesn't agree with murder, but he doesn't have any difficulty throwing him into a pit. Um, so this is taking place, and Reuben's, uh, Reuben's uh, objected to the murdering him, and uh, you know what? He leaves the scene... And during the time that he's away, these merchants come by. And as these merchants come by, the boys make this, this, uh, this bargain, this deal with these merchants. And they sell their brother Joseph into slavery. They sell him into slavery. Reuben comes back uh, before he could rescue him. So the boys think, how can we cover this up? Now we go back to the favorite system. I didn't talk about the, the colorful war, uh, robe, the coat of many colors, the Joseph in Technicolor, whatever you want to call it. Uh, but, uh, you know, they take his robe that his father has given to him, again, because he's the favorite, and they take it and they, they, they just cover it in, in goat's, uh, goat's blood. And then they go back and their deception continues because they, they tell their father the story that, their favorite, that his favorite son had been slain by wild beast. Again, this is, there are some incredible family dynamics that you need to totally stay away from. Uh, but this is, this is the son of Jacob, the sons of Jacob. This is the sons of Jacob who again uh, is part of the ongoing covenant, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
and despite the fact that Jacob has, has, has the covenant has been affirmed with him, that it would continue through his sons, uh, this is the actions that they're taking. Joseph is sold into slavery. He's taken down by these merchants uh, to Egypt. I guess one of their, game, their favorite, if there was a reality show back then, it would mean flip the slave. And so they take, they take the, the one that they have bought, take, it, take him down into Egypt, and he's sold to Potiphar. He's getting, now he's, he's part of Potiphar's household. He becomes a supervisor, and uh, he excels at his duties. God's favor is with him, and Potiphar sees this. Potiphar recognizes that it seems whatever Joseph puts his hand to, God is blessing. He says, this is a good thing. So he gives him all this responsibility. He looked favor, and, he, and, he, and Joseph prospered in all that he did. Well, Potiphar wasn't the only one that was observing what was going on. Potiphar's wife noticed this young, handsome man who was doing so well, and she attempts to seduce Joseph. He constantly refused her. He, he, he said, this is not right for, 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 for me to do it. I need to show honor to my master. But the day comes that one day she caught Joseph by the cloak and again made these sexual advances. He resisted, pulled away, and his cloak, his, his cloak was pulled off him. And so she's standing there with his cloak in her hands. He flees. In anger, because of, her, of his refusal, she falsely accused Joseph of, of attempted rape, and Potiphar put him into prison. So Joseph, who had found favor in Potiphar's eyes, now is being put into prison. But again, I think the incredible thing about this story is you have to remember God's faithfulness in all of this. Despite the fact that he was sold into slavery, despite the fact that he was, he was now imprisoned, Joseph was again blessed by God. He was given the, the gift of interpretation of dreams, and there was two, two of the fellow prisoners that both had dreams that they couldn't figure out. One was the cupbearer, and the other was the baker. Joseph interprets them and tells them what it's going, what it's going to mean. To the cupbearer, it was good news. To the baker, it was not so good. And so the baker, the, the cupbearer, is restored to his position. And all he said to him is, could you please tell Pharaoh of what, what I've shared with you? Can you please let him know what's gone on? And maybe I can be restored. Maybe I can find Pharaoh. Well, when we read the scriptures, we find that he forgot about Joseph. Two years later, now Pharaoh is having these dreams. And Pharaoh is, 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 is curious, and I, I think he's, he's probably uh, frustrated because it doesn't seem like anybody can interpret the dreams. On comes Joseph. Oh, the cupbearer remembered. Yeah, there was a guy in prison, I remember, two years ago that he interpreted a dream I had. Joseph was brought out. Pharaoh tells him this dream, and he, ta- he tells Pharaoh exactly what it's going to be. It's about a famine that's going to be coming. And it's going to affect, it's going to affect all of the world. There's going to be seven years of bounty followed by seven years of famine. And so with it, with the interpretation of this dream, Pharaoh understands, you know what, I need to prepare for this. And because Joseph has again found favor in Pharaoh's eyes, we see that Pharaoh restores him to this position, to a position above everyone else. If Pharaoh was the, was the, the ultimate ruler, he would, I guess, governor would have maybe of, of the land, 
prime minister, whatever it would be. But this was given to him for the wisdom that he had shown. So Joseph was made ruler, second only to the king. And during those years, there would be great storing of, of uh, during those years of bounty, there would be great storing of all, of, uh, of all that they would need for the famine that was coming. Well, the famine strikes. I hope you're catching your breath like I am here, because we're, we're, we're running through the years here. But the famine strikes, and Canaan is affected. All that area is affected. And so Jacob decides to send 10 of his sons down to Egypt to buy some grain. Chapter 42 of, of, uh, of Genesis. But he keeps Benjamin, because Benjamin was the youngest and only other son to Rachel, who is his favorite wife. He said, he said all 10 of them, he says, Benjamin is staying home. He'd already lost one, one, of his, one of the sons to Rachel. He's not going to have that happen again. They go down to Egypt. And while they're there, they meet their long-lost brother. But they don't recognize who Joseph is. He tested them after, after having talked to them. And he accused them of being spies. For three days, they're confined. And then all are released but Simeon. And they're, sent, they're sending them with grain for their households and requiring that they would come back with the younger brother. There was a test that they were given that they would come back with the younger brother and by, if they were, were to come back, then Joseph would, would know that they weren't spies. He knew they weren't spies, but he was putting them to the test. So here he retains Simeon. He sends the others on their way. But little did they know that he secretly has returned their money in their packs. They feared even more. And once home, they told Jacob, their father, all that had transpired. And, more, and Jacob mourned again the loss of Joseph and added the, now added the loss of Simeon. He refused. He said, I will not lose Benjamin. I will not. I cannot. And here we see that uh, uh, you've got this famine that is continuing to grow in intensity and severity. Finally, with the famine becoming so severe, Jacob relents. Jacob relents and he says, go, take Benjamin. And so they travel back down uh, to, uh, to Egypt. They take choice fruits and double the money for, that, uh, for the grain. And when Joseph saw the men, uh, he instructed his servants to slaughter an animal and prepare a meal for the brothers to dine with him. It sort of has a bit of a tinge of the prodigal son there when the son returned home. It was something that wasn't deserved. He didn't need to. But there was something in his heart that made him want to prepare this feast for his brothers. They would dine together. And so here the brothers made apologies during this time in Joseph's house. To Joseph Stewart for the money that they had had been replaced the first time. Joseph Stewart reassured them and brought Simeon out. And when Joseph returned, the brothers bowed to him, fulfilling that earlier promise that the day would come when they would bow before him. But that's not the end of the story. So the men sit down for a meal and at a separate table, and a separate table from Joseph. And uh, there was much blessing that was taking place there. Before sending them back to their father, Joseph again tested his brothers by returning their money to their grain sacks and, and uh, placing a silver cup in Benjamin's sack. He let the brothers start out on the journey and then had his men go after him. 
It was like the double cross, saying, okay, you can go, uh, but then planning something and say, aha, I can't trust you. Look what you did. And they go, the steward chases after him, and he's told that he needs to act angry and threaten to kill Benjamin. So back in Joseph's presence, Judah pleaded for Benjamin's life, uh, saying that if, if Benjamin were to die, so would Jacob. Judah tells uh, of the sorrow and the grief that uh, Jacob had, had experienced with Joseph and his belief that he, would not, he could not bear the loss of Benjamin's life. Well, Joseph is seeing something through all this. He sees the proof of his brother's change of heart. And Joseph sends all his servants away and through this weeps openly and loudly enough to be heard by Pharaoh's household. He then revealed himself to his brother. I am Joseph, the one that you sold. You sold me into slavery. You did it out of anger. You did it out of an act of of vengeance. And with that, revealing himself, Joseph then would say to them, reassuring them, not to be angry with themselves for what they have done, saying that God had sent him to Egypt in order to preserve them. See, it comes back to that redemptive plan that while man isn't going to be faithful throughout the Scripture, God in his sovereign plan is going to make sure that there is that thread that is going to go through Scriptures that is going to continue to see his sovereign plan take place no matter what mankind did. And so he is reassuring them that God has orchestrated all this. Joseph reaffirmed his forgiveness years later after the death of his father, and Donald was reading that passage earlier, They were concerned, now what? Our father's gone. Now will be the time for him to strike. Now will the time for him to get his cup of of vengeance. And he reassures them. He says, no. God intended it for good. And Joseph sends his brothers back to Jacob to to retrieve the remainder of the household to come to live in Goshen, where they would be near Joseph and he could provide for them. We have a clear picture of God's faithfulness. He does not forsake his children, even in the midst of their suffering. number of times we see, especially in chapter 39, the words, and God was with Joseph. God is faithful. And we see in this story that this is, this is a story of grace. Grace has that at, at the core, for, for me, at the core of grace is forgiveness. Something that I don't deserve, but it was something that despite all that Joseph had endured from slavery to prisonhood, all of that, he's able to extend forgiveness to his brothers. John Piper says, most of our bitterness and anger towards others is rooted in an inability to be profoundly amazed at Christ's love for us in our sin. The solution is to gain a heart that is overflowingly thankful for grace from Christ and that spills over with grace towards others. And we read that in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. Forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you. They meant it for evil. And yet God worked through it all. In a couple of minutes, we're going to come to the Lord's table. Before we do, I want us to go into Acts chapter 2. 
Acts chapter 2, where Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit that has been received on this day of Pentecost, addressed the crowd in a prophetic way. He talks about what is going to happen in the last days. And then in verse 22 of chapter 2, he said, Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge and you with the help of wicked men put him to death by nailing him to the cross. God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Nothing was going to stop or prevent the outworking of God's redemptive plan. Man thought, well, the Jews probably thought, we got rid of them. Finally. Done away. Us. We take the credit. And here's Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, and says, you know what? This was all part of God's plan. You really... It really wasn't your plan at all. In, a, in that certain way, they were but pawns in the hand of a sovereign God. And so as we're coming to the table this morning, the Lord's table, we are reminded from Joseph's life, God's sovereignty works all things for his glory and for, his, and for our good. From Joseph's life, we see that Joseph lived free of bitterness despite everything that happened to him despite every hard knock that would come his way. And as Joseph faced death, he was right with both God and man. And God's redemptive plan would continue. And we're going to see that as we continue through the word of God. But this morning, as we come to the Lord's table, may we be reminded of the grace that has been extended to us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It is through Jesus Christ that we are reconciled to God. We are actually at war because of our sin. It's a, it's, a, it's a military term that we were at war with God because of our sins. And in our rebellion, he reached out and extended grace to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. So this morning, may we be thankful for the faithfulness of our God that nothing, absolutely nothing, is going to prevent the building of his kingdom. And nothing, nothing can overcome his love. Let us pray.